welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. So I want to begin by asking this question, who has ever seen where magic is being performed? Who has ever been in a show where they're doing magic? Just raise up your hand and feel free. Wow, okay. So many hands full here. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah, you see, we see every day, you know, out there, people just fabricate things and just come out, try to uh, do things and then, you know, play on people's intelligence. Then after that, they call it magic. Um, they call it magic. Um, I remember when I was in school many years ago, in, in middle school, we had this friend. And uh, I think it was from him that I ever heard about Jesus turning water into wine. So he had heard that story, but he used it, he used it as an opportunity to try to... Uh, uh, deceive other students and to uh, get his fame. But anyway, his own was a little bit brutal uh, because he, I remember one time he called a friend. He first called me, I refused because I didn't know what he was, wanted to do with me. Then he called a friend and, and asked that friend to stand and to look at him. And he said, well, Jesus performed miracles by turning water into wine. So he wants to perform a similar miracle on that fellow student. So he asked this guy to stand very straight, adjusted his, his face like this, and put his face one side. Then this guy raised up his hand and gave him a good spank. and said That was his own miracle right there. And of course, you know what can happen right there. This student who was hit followed him, and uh, they break into a serious fight. So this evening, we are going to be talking about Jesus turned water into wine. What do you understand when you read this passage? Or when you hear somebody say, Jesus turned water into wine. I know, of course, Christians, we will quickly know that it's a story of the Bible. Actually, it's not a story, but it's something, an act, one of the acts that Jesus committed, which actually was the first miracle he, 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 he performed in Cana, in Galilee, uh, in Cana. So we want to see what that means to us today. We want to try to read this passage and see what it means today. And I will really beg that if you're here having the Bible, I want us to go from verse to verse, and see what God has for us this evening. Uh, so uh, we are going to be reading from John chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 11. I'm going to call our brother, um, nephew, to come and read the scripture reading, John chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 11. John chapter 2, from verse 1 to 11. I read. And the third day, there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciple to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatever he said unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purification of the Jews containing two or three freaking epis. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pot with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine 
and knew not when it was. But the servant which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said unto him, Every man at the beginning of every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have were drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracle did Jesus, this beginning of miracle did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee, and manifested forth his glorious and and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. This is the readings of God's word. Let us, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. Our hearts are open. Holy Spirit, may you speak to us. Father, these are your word. And these words can better be interpreted to us only by you and by your spirit. By our own self, by our own knowledge and wisdom, Father, we will not understand what you have for us. We are depending on you, Holy Spirit, this evening. Please, interpret your word to us. So that God, it will be, this, this, this moment, oh God, will be wonderful of memorable, Lord. Again, thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, actually tells us that Jesus turned water into wine. And as I earlier said, this is the first sign of Jesus that relates in other passages. And uh, as we see, that verse 1 of this chapter tells us that on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. I want us to first of all stop at this point and let's get an understanding of what this first segment of this passage is saying to us. By the way, this, this, this uh, uh, verse, actually, Jesus actually converted, turning water into wine. We can see that Paul actually conveys this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul mentions, he talks about the old had gone, and Paul says the new has come. So there is a lot of correlation. There is a lot of meaning that ties between Jesus turning water into wine and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17 when Paul says the old has gone and the new has come. Now this chapter actually the way it presents, it presents the replacement of the old purification by wine of the kingdom and then also the old temple by the new in the risen Lord and thirdly it also presents an exposition of new birth for new creation. So I want you to know that Jesus turning water into wine, as we see, does not, the emphasis or the important is not the physical turning or transformation of water into wine. There is something actually that is embedded in Jesus transforming and turning water into wine. And it is the beginning of the new age. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says that all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So, Jesus actually is bringing a new age. Jesus is bringing something new. 
Now, when he talks about the third day here, the third day is to be counted from the last event narrated, the exchange that Jesus had between him and, uh, and Nathaniel. That Jesus and his mother, now, we see here that Jesus and his mother, they were invited, and also the disciples. Now, this alone can tell us that if Jesus' mother was invited in that feast, and also Jesus was also invited with his mother, with his disciples, then there is a possibility that whosoever had that wedding had some kind of close relationship with them, with either with Jesus' mother or with Jesus Christ. That is why they found themselves in this wedding at Canaan. Now, we go on, we see in verse 3. Verse 3 says that, it says, uh, uh, when the wine ran out, Joseph's mother told him, they don't have any wine. Now listen, there is something in this verse 3 here. So they went there as a guest. And possibly we are saying that if Jesus was invited in this party, and the mother was invited, and the disciples also, it therefore means that there is some sort of relationship with the, 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 the host, the person having the wedding, and and, and these invitees. But something went wrong here. So they have run out of wine. Okay? They have run out of wine. And as they have run out of wine, how come that Jesus' mother being the invitee, right? Normally you being an invitee, you don't have any command, any say to a party that you are invited to, except there is some kind of relationship with that person. You and that person. So, but we see here that when the wine was over, Jesus' mother told, he said, uh, when the one was just his mother, he told him, they don't have any wine. Very important. Jesus' mother knew his son. We don't know why Jesus' mother had to turn and look at his son and told the son that we don't have, that there is, no more in, there is no more wine. We don't know that. But what we can read into to see this is, like, there was a relation. Jesus' mother had believed in Jesus. Jesus' mother knew who the son was. You know, that is important for us to know our children. Do you know your children, your child that well? Do you know your children that well that at some point you can stand and, and call out your children for something or for anything? Or you can stand at the, and defend your son or your daughter for anything? Jesus' mother actually knows the son. Because it was not by coincidence that the mother out of a sudden would turn and look at the son and tell the son that the wine is finished. The, the son was not the one having the party. The son was not the one having the occasion of getting married. He turned and they were invitees. But the mother turned and looked at him and said, wine is finished. That means the mother actually knew the son. She knew her son very well. And our challenge to this point is that, do we know our children very well? Do we teach our children the word of God so that at any time we can sit amongst the crowd or any time you can call upon your child, hey son, there's a situation, stand up and pray. Or son, read the Bible to these people. Or son, I want you to share Christ or share, give some word of comfort to this individual who is going through this situation. Do we know our children very well? Jesus' mother knew the son very well that even at the point where they were invitees, and Jesus' mother knew that there was a need. And she knew that at such a time, the son was capable of meeting that need. That is why she turned and looked at the son and said that they are out of wine. Do we know our children? Do we teach our children that well at such that we can at any time and be very comfortable that no matter where we are, our children can represent us? 
Jesus', Jesus mother was not telling the son to represent them. Okay, I'm trying to give some emphasis here of the importance of us teaching our children the word of God so that at any time they can represent us. Pass the legacy on to them. Teach the word on to them so that at any time when you are not there or at any time you are comfortable at any time that they can represent you even when you are not there. That is the, import- that is the emphasis I'm trying to pass here. And let's see what, is, what happened here. Now, there is something also that is tied to this verse 3 about the culture of the people. You know, usually a wedding can last for one week. And it will really be a shame as per that culture that you invite people, they come for your wedding, and, you know, drinks and food, they are out. It's a shame. It's a shame. So Jesus' mother intervening at that point, I think she had a good knowledge of, of, uh, of, uh, of the culture back then. So a wedding celebration could last as long as a week, and uh, the financial responsibility lay with the groom. To run out of supplies will be a dreadful embarrassment and shame in this culture. It is likely that Mary turned to Jesus because she had learned to rely upon his resourcefulness. Let us also know that the Bible tells us that Jesus, not only was he a son of a carpenter, but he also was a carpenter. We are just speculating here. Likely Mary knew that after the death of Joseph, the son was responsible and uh, she knew that the son also uh, can, can deliver. That's why she, she called on her. Now, let us look at what verse 4 tells us. In verse 4, it says that, then this is Jesus now responding. It says that, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asks, my hour has not yet come. There is something that somebody looking at you can like, how is this guy so rude to the mother? You just call your mother like a woman? You know, you can read and say, wow, this guy, Jesus, this is your mother though. You just talk to her like that and say, woman. No, there is something inside there. You know, Jesus Christ came for a purpose. And at, when he came, even though yes, came through Mary, but Jesus Christ came for a purpose. There was no time that Jesus Christ in his senses forgot about the mission why he came here. So that is why even at this point, the fact that he said woman does not mean that he was actually underwritten or minimizing or being rude to the mother. But Jesus at any time was putting his guard straight to know that he came for a purpose and he did not want to be talked out of the purpose why he came. Very importantly also, Jesus said his time has not yet come. His hour has not yet come. Now the hour of his glorification has not yet come. The hour of his glorification has not yet come. So that means that Jesus says, the second point on this, which I wrote is this, is that any aspect of Jesus' ministry could never be in response to human schedules. So Jesus' ministry, his time had not yet come. So his response or performing his ministry did not depend on human schedule. So Mary had no reason, Mary had no play to tell Jesus that, go ahead and start to do what you, you came for. Because the, the Jesus, as he said, his time has not yet come. Now, I want to really plug into this to tell us that, listen, when we trust God for something, God has his own time. He has his own way of doing things. God has his own time for our lives. He has his own time when he plans to do things in our lives. So, no matter how we may push, no matter how we may press, no matter how we may pray, no matter how we may force things sometimes to happen, things has to be done according to God's calendar if you are trusting God. Amen? It must be according to God's own timing. 
It must be according to his time that he had purpose and planned for you. But don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on trusting him. Because his time is there. His plans for you, they are there. So his time is there. And so we see, as we move on in verse verse 5, Mary was such a bold mother who understood the child very well. Very bold and very courageous. Not only bold and courageous, but she was also a faithful woman. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He said, do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Mary, I thought you should have learned a lesson from when Jesus told you that my time has not yet come. You still went further and said, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, this Mary was such a bold, I mean, looking at, looking at her position here, I mean, that, that just, it, 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 it's so refreshing to know that she was not only bold, but she was very faithful. She has faith. She believed her son. She knew her son, and she believed, and she knew without a doubt that Jesus is capable of turning things around. That Jesus was capable of turning things around. So as we see here in verse 5, Mary does not know what Jesus will do. But she has committed the matter to him and trust him. She didn't know what he was going to do. Jesus never told Mary that he was able or capable of turning water into wine. Jesus had not discussed with Mary before this time that he knew how to turn water into wine. But Mary just trusted him. He just trusted and believed that he he is able to do it. Now, let's go further to verse 6. And verse 6, now, it goes on. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Now, the water, I want to look, let's look at the water here. The water represents the old order of the Jewish law and culture, which Jesus was to replace with something. If somebody, if you look at uh, 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 chapter 1, verse 16, it, it brings uh, a light to this point that I just said. That the water represents the old order of the Jewish law and culture which Jesus was to replace with something better. Okay? Like I said earlier, the importance of this miracle was not the water itself to just turn the water into wine, but it was the beginning of the new age. So the water now represented this point which I said that the water it represented the older the order of the Jewish law and culture, which Jesus was coming now to replace with a better one. And then we see in verse 7 and 8, in verse 7 and 8, it says that now Jesus now, he, after the mother has uh, called him, now Jesus, in verse 7 we see, he said, fill the jars with water. Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to uh, the head waiter. And they did. So after Jesus has listened to the mother, now he had told them, okay, fill those containers with, with water and fill them up to the brim. And we know that they filled it, as the word says, they filled it with water. Then when they did fill it with water, then Jesus said, okay, go back inside now and draw some and then go and to the head, uh, uh, the head, uh, uh, the, the master of ceremony who was running the program, go to him and, and hand him over. This is the point, the heart, the core of this message. And this is the core, the first miracle that Jesus actually performed, which actually it is a representation that Jesus came to deal away with the old and to bring in the new. 
And in this miracle, we see that Jesus' glory was revealed here. Jesus performed the miracle and then asked the servants to take some of the freshly made wine from the water jars to the master of the banquet. It should be noted that the sheer quantity of water turned into wine then becomes symbolic of the lavish provision of the new age. So that is a symbol. That is a point right there. That is a message right there. And let us go to verse 10 and see what verse 10 says. Verse 9 and 10. When the head, when the head water tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him. So it is important to know this. Like just imagine being in a ceremony and then, you know, like the culture, usually they will serve all the best first. They serve all the best. And when, when the head waiter tested, he said, this guy, normally, you know, they give out the best, but you have served the best for, to serve it last. You serve out the poor one and then you bring out the best towards the end of the, the ceremony. There is also a big lesson to learn from this. Okay? And the, normally, you know, they will serve out the best, like he said. But seemingly, according to him, according to this, uh, the, 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 the guest, he said, you serve the, 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 you reserve the best for, for the last Instead of serving the, the best first, you reserve the best to serve last. That is a transformation that Jesus actually is bringing for us today. And Peter, again, I, I, I will, uh, I will, I will uh, remind us again what Paul conveyed this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 or 17. He said, if someone is in Christ, he is a new creature. When you are in Christ, you are a new creature. And then he went further to illustrate. He said, all things have passed. Your past life, all the things that proud to you receiving Jesus Christ, all they have passed. And now you now receiving Jesus Christ, you are a new creature. A new creature because Jesus Christ upon his death on the cross, it completely canceled all your past lives. So today... We don't have to go through a priest to meet Jesus Christ. Today, we don't have to go through a confession to somebody. We don't need any medium, no third party in order to reach God. And he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through him. Through him and not a third party. Through him and not the curtain, get into the curtain. Through him and not a confession through a priest. This is the new beginning that Jesus Christ has brought to us. We don't have to go through any channel again to meet Jesus Christ. We don't need to go through a pastor to confess our sins to meet Jesus Christ. No, we have direct access to him. As a child of God, the new beginning is having direct access now to God through Jesus Christ. And that is why he came. And that is why this turning water into wine in Cana signifies that is the symbol right there, the new beginning. It's amazing how you think, if you can imagine this, that God who created heaven and earth, the God who is all-knowing, that me and you, in our limitation, we have access like this, that anytime we open our mouth, even right now you open your mouth like this, directly he opens up to you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? 
all because of Jesus Christ, the new beginning. We don't need to burn cattles and, and give cattles to burn them for our sins to be taken away anymore. We don't need to wait at the end of the year to count number of goats and number of doves and number of hens and number of this to give in accordance of every head count of our family for their sins anymore. We don't need to do that anymore because Jesus Christ, upon his death on the cross, all those were washed and wiped away. The new beginning. We can directly stand and communicate with God. He listened to us through Jesus Christ. Amen? The new beginning. Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus turning water into wine. The point here is that, in verse 9 and 10, the point here is that the wine Jesus provides is superior as must everything be that is tied to the new messianic age Jesus is introducing. We are about to end this lesson. There are some, about six points that I want us to learn from this lesson. And the thing that I wanted to learn about Jesus turning water into wine. The first thing is that Jesus revealed his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We can see that in John 1 verse 14. And John 1 verse 14 talks how he came and dwelt amongst men. You know, he became flesh and dwells amongst men. The second point, his glory will be revealed in greatest measure in his cross, resurrection and exaltation. So his glory did not only limit when he died on the cross or when he turned water into wine. So his glory also it shall be revealed even when he's hung on the cross when he died and is buried in resurrection and is being exalted. Point three. But every step along the course of his ministry was a representation of that glory. I mean, from step to step, from stages to stages, everything that Jesus did, you will see God's glory in him. You see him in his glory doing everything that he was doing in his ministry, in his entire ministry. Very important now, verse number 4 says that the glory was not visible to all who had seen the miracle. The glory cannot be identified with the miraculous displays. Now, God's glory was not seen when, in, in, when that miracle was performed. But this glory, the glory cannot be identified with the miraculous displays. Now, listen to verse 5, verse number 5. Number 5 says, the servant saw the sign, but not the glory. You see, this is something. Today, people are so much interested to see signs, right? They want to see signs. They want to see miracles. But in their quest to see signs and miracles, they don't care about God's glory. I want to break this down. People pray so that something should happen to you. But as you pray that something should happen to you, you forget to know that your desire should be that God's name should be glorified. As a matter of fact, I think it's John chapter 16. Just says, his disciples say, up to now you have not prayed, you have not asked. Ask of me anything. He said, it shall be done unto you so that what? So that you bring glory unto my Father. So everything that Jesus actually did was to glorify his name and to glorify the name of God the Father. So people actually, they are longing, longing to see all these signs and miracles but they don't care about seeing God's glory in it. 
And lastly, verse number six, point six. The disciples by faith perceived Jesus' glory behind the signs, and they put their faith in him. If we look at that uh, verse 23 to 35 of that chapter 2, you will see how the disciples, they put their faith in Jesus Christ when they perceived his glory. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus came, he canceled all the codes and authorities and traditions. Uh, this is how Paul presents it in Colossians. He came and took away all the, 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 the tradition of men, all the, the curses and all those evil, take upon himself, nail them on the cross, and he declared that it is finished. So that today, me and you, we have direct access to Jesus Christ. We don't have to go to know some priest. We don't have to go to know some pastors to carry all goats and, and sheep and, and bulls and for, to confess our sins. No. We have direct access to God. That whenever we sin or make mistakes, we want to talk to him, we have access directly to talk to him through Jesus Christ. And that is what this message is all about. That Jesus turning water into wine is the beginning of new age. Amen? Have you recognized this Jesus Christ in your life? Are you still hanging with the past Hugging with the grudges in the past. Hugging with the pain that somebody caused you in the past. Hugging with what somebody said and hurt you in the past. Are you still hanging out or, 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 or grudging or bearing grudges in your heart? Are you still harboring unforgiveness? Are you still harboring not talking with your fellow sister or brother or sister because they did whatsoever to you? Are you still harboring that? There should be a problem to anybody sitting here right now. Having known that Jesus came for a new beginning, changing water into wine, signifying uh, the new beginning, new creation. If you are here and you are still holding those grudges in the past, pains that somebody caused in the past and you don't want to forgive them, listen, it will make no help for you after having heard this gospel of Jesus Christ that you still hold on to the past. It will make no sense. So I want to give this opportunity if there is anybody here seated who is still harboring a pain, unforgiveness that somebody caused you in the past. Listen, your stomach is not a junk to be harboring all those things. You're causing pain to yourself. When you harbor unforgiveness, you are killing yourself because it's like you're not recognizing what Jesus Christ did for you. Matthew chapter 6, I think 14, 15, 14 says that if anyone forgive the sin of another person, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you withhold the sin of another person, you don't forgive them, then your own sin will not be forgiven. I want this, if let us make use of Jesus turning water into wine. This is a new beginning. We are still fresh in the new year. Amen? So let us be on our feet, please. Let's stand on our feet. And I want to give this opportunity. I'm not going to call anybody to come here. We'll bow our head down, and I'll give some time for you to pray. And ask God to forgive you for harboring unforgiveness. Let us pray. I want you to pray. Ask God to forgive you for not forgiving. No matter how painful that person did to you, whatever she or did, he did to you, no matter how that hurts you, just forgive them. Pray that God should give you the grace to forgive them and to forget. Now, after having said that, now thank Jesus Christ 
for his grace. Thank God for his grace through Jesus Christ. And thank Jesus Christ for the new beginning. Lastly, I want to ask this question. If there is anybody here who, for sure you know that you've not had an encounter with the Lord, if you show that you don't know what it means by having Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you never ever made that commitment to invite him as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you this opportunity. I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ right now. I, love, I like this very good passage, which I always like to quote if I have to, and I have the opportunity. Revelation 3.20 says that, Behold, today I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and hear with me. So is there anybody here who wants Jesus Christ to come into your life? To be your personal Lord and Savior? To forgive your sins? Anybody? Just indicate with a hand show. Anyone willing to give your life to Jesus Christ? Okay. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you so much. We say, may your name be glorified. May your name be exalted, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, hold our hands, guide us, and direct us. May you continue to bless us, continue to minister to us, and continue to bless this church and bless the ministries. Take us to our home back safely, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.